Good morning again, church, and we find ourselves a new day, ready to experience the wonders of the Lord and His mercy and His grace that we desperately need. Uh, I'd like to take this time to just go before the Lord and just to, again, give Him the praises and the honor that He deserves for, for Him being who He is and for His Son, Jesus Christ, for shedding His blood for us and uh, making a way for us where there was no way. So, uh, let's let's quiet our hearts now and go before the Lord. Heavenly Father, Lord God, thank you again for this moment in Lord, but to really be alive, alive in Christ. And we thank you that your son Jesus has risen from the dead. He's conquered death in the grave, Lord. He's conquered hell, Lord. And He's now seated at your right-hand side, interceding for us, Lord, praying for us, Lord, giving us the insight that we need to understand your truths, Lord. You, you help us through the Holy Spirit rightfully divide uh, your word and apply it to our lives. And Father, we're just grateful for your covenant promises that you will not revoke. Father, you, your, your word says, any that will humble themselves before you and call upon the name of your son shall be saved. And so, Father, we're grateful for that promise. And we we cling to that, Lord, and we pray now that you would go before us in all things and that your Holy Spirit would speak through your word, that we would hear the message of the cross, that we would hear the message of, of love and truth and of saving from judgment and wrath by uh, the blood of your Son. So thank you that all roads, all roads excuse me, point to Jesus Christ and that we may be saved and washed and cleansed in the blood of your Son, Jesus. So, Father, we thank you and love you. We pray this all in Jesus Christ's mighty name. Amen. As I've been going on through this week and, you know, just seeking the Lord and, and seeking His face and His hand in my life and just to continue to bring stability to me and encouragement to myself and my family, I was encouraged by uh, Psalm chapter 91. And I do uh, want to read that briefly because I, I definitely sense that there is so much to gain from this chapter and to have this be, you know, a daily part of uh, your devotional time, if you feel led by the Lord, prayerfully seeking Him. But these promises and just the encouragement that we find in, in Psalm chapter 91 is great. And so I'll go ahead and read it now, starting in verse 1. And it says, Those who live in the shelter of the Most High will find rest in the shadow of the Almighty. This I declare about the Lord. He alone is my refuge my place of safety. He is my God, and I trust Him. For He will rescue you from every trap and protect you from every disease. He will cover you with His feathers. He will shelter you with His wings. His faithful promises are your armor and protection. Do not be afraid of, this, of the terrors of the night, nor the arrow that flies in the day. Do not dread the disease that stalks in darkness, nor the disaster that strikes at midday. Though a thousand fall at your side, though ten thousand are dying around you, these evils will not touch you. Just open your eyes and see how the wicked are punished. If you make the Lord your refuge, if you make the Most High your shelter, no evil will conquer you. No plague will come near your home. For he will order his angels to protect you wherever you go. 
They will hold you up with their hands so you won't even hurt your foot on a stone. You will trample upon lions and, and cobras. You will crush fierce lions and serpents under your feet. The Lord says, I will rescue those who love me. I will protect those who trust in my name. When they call on me, I will answer. I will be with them in trouble. I will rescue and honor them. I will, re will reward them with a long life and give them my salvation. And that's just so comforting to know that these promises are available to every single child of the Most High. If you have submitted your life before Him, if you have had that personal encounter with Jesus Christ and recognize that He's the only way that you could be made right, that He's the Savior and that you have a sickness in you called sin, and you've accepted Him as your Savior and your Lord, then you have, uh, you can lay hold on those of those promises and you can be encouraged through uh, times of, of difficulty that you can rest upon the, the rock who is our Savior and our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. All right. We are uh, stepping into uh, Acts chapter 13 this morning, and I'm very excited uh, to go through these verses. Uh, there is uh, just a great deal of, of biblical truth that we can apply to our lives today in this current moment that we're in, found simply in these first three verses. And uh, I'll go ahead and, and read these verses, uh, and we'll go ahead and begin now, starting in verse 1. And it says, now there, now there were in the church at Antioch prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon, who was called Niger, Lucius, Cyrene, Manan, excuse me, Manan, and a lifelong friend of Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart me for me, Barnabas and Saul, for the work to which I have called them. Then, after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them and sent them off. Let's go ahead and pray again. Father God, thank you for uh, your scripture. Thank you for your holy word that you've entrusted to, to us, Lord, to your church. Father, to not only uh, study it, Lord, but to, under the power of the Holy Spirit, apply it to our lives, to share this truth with all those we come across. Thank you that your word is living and active, Lord, that it's the most powerful book that has ever been created, Lord, that these hold the lessons and the teachings and the principles to how to live a life the way that we were created to live. It's the 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 the, the owner's manual of how to live out our human existence here on earth. And so, Father, I pray that you would just speak to our hearts this morning, that you would encourage us, Lord, that you would convict us, Lord, that you would show us the error in our ways, Lord, that you would bring to light sin that's in our hearts that we need to confess to you so we can be made right with you and continue on in our sanctification process. And Father, I just thank you for uh, the wisdom that you give through your word. Father, we thank you and praise you in Jesus Christ's name. Amen. I've entitled this message, Commissioned and Sent Out. As we enter into Acts chapter 13, the book, this book of Acts now is going to focus on the ministry to the Gentiles and the spread of the church around the known world at that time. 
we will now see how these events unfold through the eyes of the Apostle Paul. Or he's still Saul now, but the Apostle Paul. Paul will end up completing three missionary journeys before being imprisoned in Jerusalem and then being transported to Rome where he would spend the rest of his life. I simply, again, just love how you can gain so much insight and practical application with simply one or two verses in the Bible. Every time you open up the Word of God, if you have a, a, a submitted heart to Jesus Christ and an open mind willing to hear what he's trying to show you, you're always going to get something out of it. You can never walk away from spending time in God's word and not get an understanding of what God is trying to show you. And this is just great. And then there's much to cover in these three opening verses of Acts chapter 13. Uh, there's several main points that I'd like to focus on this morning. And the first one is in the true church. There will always be variety, not this blandness, not this same one flavor vanilla. That's all you get. God never meant for his church to be comprised of only one race, one culture, and one class of people. That was never his intention with the church. There should always be variety within the church. A variety of people groups, hear me but not a variety of beliefs. Our common thread is Jesus Christ, and that's what, what brings us all together from different walks of life, from different socioeconomic backgrounds. The one common thread, the main theme in the church is Jesus Christ, and everything that is taught, everything that is heard, everything that is shared from men of God should point you back directly to Jesus Christ. And if it does not, then that's an apostate church and you need to flee and get away from that message because it's not the true message of the Holy Bible. This is what we believe. This is what the Bible teaches, that everything centers around Jesus Christ. It's, it, it's a true Christian worldview. It's not a Christian humanistic worldview where where, the, where man is at the center and Jesus is around man. No, Jesus Christ is at the center and our lives should revolve around him. Amen. The second point this morning is fasting and prayer should be an involved part of our lifestyle as Christians. Both of these practices should not be foreign or alien to us in the family of faith. These should be things that obviously led by the Holy Spirit, we should participate in, we should be active in. These shouldn't be things that we never do or we occasionally do or we religiously do once or twice a year. These are things that are a part of an active believer's faith. The third main point is the Holy Spirit is still in the business of dedicating believers for the service in which he has called them to. It is the Lord God who calls and equips people for service. If we try to do things from our own vision, our own vantage point, or in our own strength, we will ultimately fail. But if we submit and obey whatever the calling the Lord has on our lives, we can be sure he will equip us and work through us to accomplish his work. And so without further ado, let's go ahead and begin to, to look through these verses and see what 
rich truth we will uncover. So let's start in Acts chapter 13 in verse 1. And it says, Now they <clears throat> there were in the church at Antioch prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon, who was called Niger, Lucius from Cyrene, Manan, uh, a lifelong friend of Herod, the Tetrarch, and Saul. Excuse me if I've butchered a name or two here. So here, if we just look at this first verse, we have a very interesting dynamic taking place. If you know, just have to put yourself in the shoes of, of the writer Luke and just what he was uh, depicting here. Because we have five different men all coming together within the church of Antioch. And let's look at these five. And so the first one we have is Barnabas. And we've already been introduced to Barnabas. We know that he was uh, a, 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 a cryptic Jew, meaning he was from Cyprus. Secondly, we have a man named Simeon who was called Niger, which translates uh, to black. It was it was well known that he was considered from Africa, and most likely this was the same Simeon who uh, carried Jesus's cross. You could read about that in Luke chapter twenty three, verse thirty six. Next, the third man that's mentioned here in this first verse of Acts chapter thirteen is Lucius from Cyrene who was also known to be of African descent. So already off the bat, you have, you have one Jew, one Jew from Cyprus, and you have two uh, men of African descent. And then we have, uh, and this is the name that I'm, I've been struggling with this whole morning, was uh, Man Man Manian, almost now I'm saying Manian, who was a lifelong friend of Herod. The same lifelong uh, friend of the man that who just who just died of worms in the last at the end of the last chapter what when when i read this it was like i i couldn't even begin to 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 believe what i was reading but it's so true uh, so the what the bible what the scripture is telling me is that someone connected to this wicked man herod was being recognized as either a prophet or a teacher within the church and finally, the last man mentioned here, we have is Saul, formerly the Jew of all Jews, you know, who studied under the teaching of Gamaliel, who read so many books that Gamaliel didn't have even anything more to teach this man because he soaked up so much and he was so, he was so about the Jewish law. And we all know about Saul and what his previous life consisted of. He went around persecuting, imprisoning, and having Christians killed. People that identify themselves with Christ, he wanted to eradicate them from the earth. So you have this, this melting pot, this, this, this mix of all these different men from these different backgrounds, but they all have this common thread. Let me ask a question. So what is the point? What does this all mean to us today? Well, the application is simply this. We must never exclude anyone who Christ has called to follow him. Remember, Jesus Christ is the vine and we are simply the branches. He is the trunk that the the that the branches of the tree or the vine of the grape, you know, the the grape plant are connected to. Without Christ, we are nothing. And and as the branches differ in size and in color and in strength, so we as believers in Christ are going to vary. 
They were all different men with different backgrounds, with cultural and racial differences. But the common thread among them was their deep faith in Jesus Christ. This means for us today, like the early church, we need to reach out to all who are lost within our sphere of influence. Whoever we come across, we should be willing to humbly share the love of Christ with those around us. Example, what, what better time than now, than today, the, 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 the time that we're living in, the circumstances that we're in, even with this coronavirus and the shelter in place that we're experiencing here in, in Santa Clara County, we can use the many avenues of technology to get the word out. There's so many resources. There's Google Duo, Zoom, Instagram, YouTube, Facebook, Twitter, Twitch, etc., If we are honestly doing our part, led by the Holy Spirit, then eventually at some point, our congregations will be made up of different people from different racial and cultural backgrounds. That that will be the, the, the nature of what we will begin to see if the Holy Spirit is leading us in the direction of sharing Christ with all those we come across. And many times the reason why it doesn't happen is because we tend to be most comfortable with people who are just like us or look like us or have a similar background or interests as us. And the reality is clearly at the root of this is the ugly sin of prejudice. Because truly the more we understand and embrace God's vision for the body of Christ, the more We will embrace all people regardless of their background, whether it's that or even the background of their past, the things that they have done, the things that they are ashamed of, the things that they they lay at the Lord's feet asking for forgiveness. Either way, we all have a, a, a checkered background and we all are accepted if we receive the gift of salvation that only Jesus provides. We will begin to do more than simply just get along with other people, but we will truly begin to love one another as the Lord has called us to. And and, and I love this. I, I remember maybe it was about four or five months ago, but this just came to mind. So, um, you know, we have prayed about it and we decided for the men's group, we, we need to we need to set aside you know, a time at least once every eight weeks where we all get together and we actually go out where we're not doing a Bible study or we're not praying, but we're just going out and we're doing something recreational and fun. And so we went to some bowling alley. I can't remember what it's, in, what it's called uh, at Eastridge at the mall. And, you know, as we were there, it was myself, there was Daniel Gall, there was uh, Jeremy, there was Sal, there was Caesar. And, and we're all You know, we look like this motley crew of dudes because, you know, you got Sal, he's kind of older. You got Caesar, you got Jeremy, you know, you got myself, uh, you have Daniel. And and from the world's perspective, if, you know, the people that would look on at that, it's like, what what is this group of dudes doing? You guys do not look like you belong together. But again, the common thread is Jesus Christ. And, And, you know, it was just great to be there fellowshipping, having a great time bowling, you know. Uh, and, and that's what drove us to, to be together was Christ. And we truly, genuinely enjoyed 
one another's company because it was in the company of God Almighty and it was the Holy Spirit that led us to do that. I, that's just a, a quick example, but it is so true how led by the Holy Spirit, you will begin to see these different groups of people coming together and it's all for the common cause of praising and honoring our Lord Jesus Christ. Second Peter chapter 3 is uh, verse 9 is, is the perfect example of this. And it simply says, the Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise as some count slowness, but is patient towards you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. And I truly believe that is God's heart. And so since that is God's heart, we shouldn't see it it difficult to understand that there's going to be different people groups that we come across that that his church is going to be, be comprised of so many different variations of all the people he created in the world because his desire is that none of his creation go to hell. None of his creation be a set apart, for, uh, put apart from him, but that every single human being he's ever created would have lasting eternal fellowship with him forever now on earth and in eternity. And so that should be just uh, just a marker and a driving force for us as far as you know, what we're personally called to do and how we share and how we reach out to people. It shouldn't be based on how people look or what the what background we think they have or what side of the tracks we think they come from. But the fact that they are just like us, we're all wretched sinners in need of salvation and the saving grace of God Almighty. All right, let's go ahead and, and tackle uh, chapter, uh, excuse me, verse two here. And it says, while they were worshiping, the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. So now when I was reading this and studying, the first thing that I saw here was that these believers were worshiping God. And the Lord has impressed this upon my heart personally. <clears throat> and I find it very important that we are always aware of the basic truths that are in the Bible. So what is the Bible's definition of worship? Well, the precise meaning of worship is to adorn, to idolize, to esteem, worthy, to pay reverence or homage to. And that's to the true and living God. That's Him. Yet true Yet truly defining worship proves more difficult than this because it's both an attitude and an act. You see, I can't just in my mind uh, believe and understand that Jesus Christ is, is Savior. That's the start. But he says himself, those who love me will obey. See, obedience, and, and that obedience is the second part of that. It's not just our mental attitude or understanding He is God, but it is an act. It is an action. It's, it's the action of us submitting our lives before the Lord's rule and doing what He calls us to do and, and truly being obedient. That is worship. Worship in truth connects the heart or the spirit of worship with the truth about God and his work of redemption as it's revealed in the person of Jesus Christ and the scriptures. And that simply means, again, understanding who Jesus is and 
allowing the Holy Spirit to work in your heart to lead you to a place of submission. And then you and I are part on that. Not that we're saved by anything that we do, but we because it's a relationship, we have the choice. We have to decide. We have to make a conscious decision every day. Am I going to humbly submit my life to the rule and the authority of Jesus Christ? Because it's not a one and done thing. It's an everyday focused battle because I guarantee you, Satan will continue to come at you. It's not, you don't get saved and your problems go away. If you truly get saved, your problems are going to not, the problems that were already there are going to be there. And then the new problems are going to come because Satan doesn't want you to focus on the cross of Jesus Christ because that is where your victory lies. And not a wooden beam, but the whole idea behind it is what Jesus did on the cross, the fact that he redeemed humanity, that act of love, that act of mercy and grace is the only way that you can have victory in this life. And so you you and I have to make this conscious attempt and understanding we have to choose to submit ourselves willfully to the authority of Jesus Christ on a daily basis. And this is all part of worship. You see, David understood the importance of worshiping in truth and the necessary link between truth and the word of God when he wrote, Teach me your way, O Lord, and I will walk in your truth. Give me an undivided heart that I may fear your name, that I may worship your name. You can find that verse and this understanding of these verses in Psalms chapter 86, verse 11, and Psalm chapter 145, verse 18. Here, both the Old and the New Covenants agree. The true worship of God is, as, is essentially internal, a matter of the heart and spirit rooted in the knowledge of an obedience to the revealed Word of God. Again, we as Christians, we can't get around the fact of obedience. You see, obedience is so key. Obedience is so key because we can have head knowledge of the scriptures and we could have gone to, you know, seminary and been raised in, in, in a Christian home and have scriptures memorized and we spit out verses like it's nothing. We just know the verses, you know, rhetorically by rote. But now if there is not a connection between what we say and what we do, it doesn't matter how much scripture you have memorized. Not and that's not knocking the word of God. That's knocking the the, the soil that the word of God has uh, the seed of uh, the word of God has fallen upon. Because there needs to be a connection between what we say we believe, what we know, and what we do. And we see this clearly here in the obedience of the individual to the Lord Jesus Christ. And the text here gives us a few examples of worship. How did they worship? Well, it says that they prayed and they fasted. Some translations read they were ministering to the Lord. This means that they were engaged in prayer to the Lord. Here we also see that fasting is a form of worshiping God. Now, Quick thing about fasting, aside from a medical fast for testing or a procedure, there are different ideas going on around the world about what fasting actually is. For many people, 
nowadays, people fast simply to shed weight so that their physiques look more shapely, so they look good, so they can be physically healthy and get rid of a uh, uh, of, of flab here and there and a, and a little you know a, a little love handle there. But the but the biblical reasoning for fasting is completely different from that. And even from other religions as well. I'll take Islam for for example. In Islam, during the month of Ramadan, Muslims are required to fast. If you don't fast during that month, you're not considered an authentic, real follower of Muhammad. Muhammad, excuse me, you're not a Muslim if you don't fast during the month of Ramadan. It's not commanded that Christians are to fast. You can't find that in the Bible that we're commanded. But we still see fasting as part of the believers' lives in the Bible. You see, but it was never meant to be legalistic, this 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 concept of fasting. Do you remember in Matthew chapter 6, verses 16 and through 18, Jesus basically said, and I'm paraphrasing, when you fast, clean your face, get washed up, put on some clean clothes so that your fasting is in secret, only known between you and your heavenly Father. So you see, Jesus basically said, when you fast, he was assuming that you were going to do it at some point, not that it was never going to happen, but when you felt, when not when you felt, but when you were led by the Holy Spirit to fast, that you would fast and you would where it was between you and the Lord. It's truly between you and God. It's a, it's a, it's a personal thing. It's not something to be paraded out for everyone to see so they could notice that you're doing this. This is a personal, just like your relationship with the Lord, it's a personal thing. It's a personal practice. And, and in that, as I share that, there's, there's many different variations of it as far as the, the length of period or the time. It may be a 24-hour fast. It may be a morning fast, or it may be a, a meal or several meals that you fast from within a day. It can also be a fast from other things besides food. Maybe it's a fast from television. Maybe it's a, a fast from, from other act, recreational activities. The bottom line is, it was never meant to be something for public display. Fasting for the Christian is really a way to draw closer to our Lord Jesus Christ. I know that I, I have fasted uh, before in the past, and in those times I, I did sense a heightened uh, closeness to the Lord, a, a, a closeness that, that I necessarily didn't, uh, didn't sense or didn't feel uh, in times where I didn't fast. And I can only speak for myself, but I truly believe that we could all stand to fast more in the body of Christ. And, and maybe this is a time with this pandemic and all these things going on within our world, that this is a time that we as the church, we set aside some time and we fast in seeking the Lord. Lastly, we see here that Barnabas and Saul were set apart for the service of the Lord question. Well, what does this mean? Well, being set apart for the service of the Lord, it means to dedicate or to set apart for a special service. And what, so what does this mean to us? How can we apply this to our lives today, this morning, this moment? 
Well, the application is this. As followers of Jesus Christ, we are all set apart, called to live a life dedicated to God. Today, we should be dedicating our pastors, missionaries, and Christian workers for their time can also dedicate ourselves with the use of our time, our money, and talents for God's work. Today, I'd like, to, I'd like for you to truly consider and ask the Lord, what has He set you apart for? What are the things that the Lord has burdened your heart for that He would have you to do within the power of the Holy Spirit that He gives you to carry it out? But what are the specific things that the Lord has burdened your heart for you to do? This is something that you and I truly need to consider and not let it just slip away. All right, let's look at verse 3. And it says, Then after fasting and praying, they laid hands on them and sent them off. Here we see the use of the laying on of hands. This is still a very alive and active practice among Christian believers today. Laying on of hands then, like anointing and fasting or other external rituals for the church, is not a magic act, and it does not, as some claim, automatically grant grace. It's not some formulaic thing that we do and voila, all of a sudden God answers your prayers. Rather, it is a means of grace and accompanies words of commendation and corporate prayer, meaning when we come together and pray, this is this is a way and a mechanism that we use to reach out to the Lord by praying to Him, lifting up those that we pray for by laying hands upon them. It is also a means of God's grace to those commissioned leaders who extend and expand their heart through the work of a faithful believer. So when somebody, the Lord is raising someone up as as myself, for an example, when the Lord raised me up to become the senior pastor of Resilient Life Church, we, the, the elders and, and the pastor of the time, Pastor Nick, they laid hands upon me and, and, and commissioned me for this service. It's a way of us acknowledging what the Lord is doing in someone's life. And in it all, the giver and blesser is God. He's the one. He's the one who equips. He's the one who provides. He's the one who blesses. He's the one who commissions and sends out those individuals for certain service and tasks that he has for them. He extends and expands the ministry of those servant leaders. He calls us. He sustains us and makes fruitful the ministry of the believer. And God the Father, Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit, the triune God, they enrich, mature, and lead the church to love good works, to minister to each other and beyond. And this is exactly what we see going on here with Barnabas, Saul, and the church in Antioch. This is what was going on. This was going to be Saul's first missionary journey. But you see, the church in Antioch was heavily involved in this. And though, yes, again, the Holy Spirit was the one that said to set them apart for this work. But the church was obedient 
and they laid hands upon them. They had prayed for them and commissioned them to go out. The Holy Spirit led them. Hear me. The Holy Spirit led them and the Holy Spirit led them to key cultural centers in Rome, in, within the Roman Empire to reach as many people as possible. That was the mission for them on this journey. So what's the application for us? How does this, how is what Paul and Barnabas were used to do, how does this apply to my life today? How can I see myself in this same light? Well, first we have to understand that God is directly involved in the plans for his people. And the reality is, in order for this to happen, an individual must humbly first submit all to the Lord Jesus Christ. Because he will not work through pride, but he will work through the humble. We know that pride comes before the fall. Now, this is the only way that you and I will ever experience all the Lord has for us to do. All that he has, all that he wants to commission us to send us out into the world to share the, the loving message, to share uh, a way of knowing that we will not fall upon the wrath and judgment of God the Father if we humbly accept Jesus Christ as our Savior and our Lord. Especially today, we need to humbly bow our hearts before God Almighty so that we and others may be raised up for the service of him, and so we can live out our, our God-given calling upon this earth. The, the reason why he's kept us alive, the reason why we're alive during this pandemic is because he wants to use us through different avenues to share the truth of who Jesus Christ is to a dying world who is frantic and panicking and not knowing what to do when the ultimate truth is the, the, the true sickness is sin, and the only vaccine is Jesus Christ. We could, we could live past the coronavirus, but we, if we still have not accepted Jesus Christ as our personal Savior, then we have a far sicker illness than this pandemic, because the sickness of sin is an eternal sickness, while this pandemic, this coronavirus, is only a temporary sickness. And Jesus Christ is the cure for both these things. Amen. Today, we as followers of Jesus Christ are set apart, dedicated to intercede for all those around us. Though times can be tough and we will get stretched and beat up at times, we must remember that all we go through is for our growth and maturity in Jesus Christ. You can only grow in Christ by the stretching of your faith, by the trials that you are allowed to go through, which submitted to Jesus will help you to mature and grow in your faith. And I'll end with this verse. It's found in James chapter 1, verses 2 through 4. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Let's pray. Father God, Lord, thank you for the rich truth of your word. Father, help us now to simply 
Just be still and know that you are God. Your word says to not look to the left or to the right, but to just stand. There are many times where we just need to stand or better yet, we just need to kneel, get on our knees and humbly submit ourselves before you, humbly cry out to you, Lord, reaching out to you, admitting that we can't protect ourselves. We don't know what to do. We need your direction, your vision, your wisdom, your guidance. Father, these these are times of uncertainty for non-believers. For believers in Christ, this should be a time where we double down and truly grab hold to you, to the promises that you provide for us and that our faith would grow and strengthen and that we would be encouraged to continue on and to press forward, Lord, and to seek out those that need you, people within our family. There may be, as we as we are all under this shelter in place, there may we may be living with people that don't know you, Lord. Help us to speak up and share the love of Christ with those people that we live in close quarters with. Help us to utilize the technology, the resources that you've given us to stay in connect in connection with one another via, uh, you know, uh, whatever the virtual technology to see each other on FaceTime and this and that. Help us to not grow lazy and to not be involved in one another's lives, and ultimately help us to seek you every day. Lord, when we wake up, the first thing we should be doing is getting on our knees and praising you and thanking you. And the last thing we should be doing before we go to bed is the same thing. And throughout the day, we should be seeking you and and seeking what you're trying to show us. Lord, what are you trying to reveal to us? Help us to know you clearly so that we even know what we're supposed to be praying for and how we're supposed to be praying for our country, for our community, for our state. Father, we need your help, Lord, and we're trusting in you because we don't want to trust in man. We know that there is no right way in man, that we are always going to errantly go, inherently go the wrong way. So help us, Father. Please hear the cries of your people. May you satisfy us as according to your will, Lord. Please continue to meet our needs, Lord. We do pray for the salvation of those that don't know you, Lord, around the world, that lives would be saved, souls would be saved, coming to the knowledge of who Jesus Christ is and what has been done for them at the cross of Calvary. So, Father, again, we thank you for this time. We praise you for you being patient with us and you forgiving our sins and equipping us to continue to mature and grow in our faith. Father, we thank you and we love you. We pray this all in Jesus Christ's precious name. Amen.